Welcome to New Narrative Southeast Asia Dispatches. I'm your host, Bonibel Ramatan, Editorial Manager for New Narrative. New Narrative is a movement to democratize democracy in Southeast Asia, and this podcast is one of the ways we attempt to do just that. In New Narrative, we believe that democracy goes beyond the ballot box. It's not just about voting or even taking to the streets. Democratic participation comes in a lot of ways, but it's primarily shaped by what we mean when we say democracy. That's actually one of our key focus areas in New Narrative. Through this democratic participation research, we try to break down and expand the understanding of Southeast Asian democracy. Particularly, as with the researcher we'll be speaking to today, we are doing so through an intersectional feminist lens. We move beyond a simple focus on just representational democratic practices to find a link between democratic processes and gender rights and how they are interconnected. The research also aims to understand how regional gender rights activists and feminists are fighting for a more inclusive democratic society and to examine potential transnational solidarity among pro-democracy movements across the region. This, we believe, is crucial in preventing democracy from becoming an exclusive domain for the elite socio-economic classes. Um, I'm Tawei. I'm a gender rights uh, researcher for democratic participation research uh, with New Narrative. Uh, I'm originally from Myanmar. That is Ted Wei, a gender rights researcher at New Narrative, currently leading our democratic participation research. She has spent more than 10 years working with different marginalized groups in Myanmar for feminist movement building. Her first publication is titled A New Feminist Narrative Towards More Inclusive Southeast Asian Democracies. In this episode, we will talk about that, as well as her experiences as a feminist activist in Myanmar. We are doing this interview today because, you know, you recently published a research in your narrative titled A New Feminist Narrative Towards More Inclusive Southeast Asian Democracies. So, Tatwe, could you maybe tell us more about that publication? What is it? What is it about? And what is your research in general about? So, uh, the research is mainly to look at independent gender rights organization and feminist organizations um, in relation to uh, conceptualize more inclusive democratic participation and democracy in Southeast Asia. So by saying that, Often we, when we think about democracy or when we talk about democratic participation, women rights and other marginalized genders, human rights are often overlooked or often not really taken into considerations. So in this research, we're going to be exploring more from the intersectional feminist lens to think about how we can conceptualize a new Southeast Asian democracy from those marginalized perspectives. So that's the aim of the research. So what's your approach there specifically? Because like, um, 
I understand that this is the first publication. You're going to have like a couple of publications. Could you maybe talk us through a little bit about like your approach and the the, the timeline and like how many ex- publications will there will there be? So there are three publications. So the first is this uh, a new feminist narrative towards a more uh, inclusive Southeast Asian democracy, which is more about unpacking the terminologies and a bit of like how we approach these uh, theories. And ideas, and um, so the second and the last report will be more about methodology and findings and analysis. After I talk to different independent feminist activists, pro-democracy activists, and independent gender and feminist organizations from the region, so from the region which I mean from the mainland Southeast Asia and Indonesia and Malaysia. So those are the countries I would be focusing on for later analysis and findings. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, the moment that I looked into this, uh, into your research, what struck me most, what I found most interesting, was how, um, you know, it's not, it's not every day you get something that's like democratic participation, and then it really focuses on gender. It focuses on feminist issues. So, what is it about gender and feminism um, that that's really important for democracy? Would you say? Uh, well, I would say, well. When we think about democracy, it's for everyone, right? So democracy as this uh, concept that uh, guarantee freedom, equality, justice uh, to everyone. But in reality, when we fight for democracy and we have witnessed in most of those like pro-democracy movement that there's the, uh, this patriarchy mindset um around you know our peers our fellow human rights activists and um yeah politicians policymakers there's this strong patriarchal um attitude uh really embedded in whatever uh, they are doing on the ground so often uh, marginalized genders and women are put behind the real struggle and often their concerns and their lived experiences are not recognized and are not taken into considerations when we uh, fight for human rights. So that's actually, that's also my, uh, well, I would say that's where it came from, uh, my main interest when we think about democracy because like, from where I'm coming from, uh, we talk a lot about democracy because we have been under military rule for so many decades. So democracy has been this concept and this, like it, it has even become this colloquial word. And in terms of like linguistic, you know, people will use democracy on everyday basis. And wherever you go, you know, you will even see like, oh, this is democracy tea shop, or this is democracy coffee, or, you know, like that, like people often use as a brand as well. But then, okay, we talk a lot about democracy, but what about like, what is 
this democracy that we are talking about because we see that you know often transgender are being oppressed for being transgender you know sex workers are oppressed and violated and often experience violence and also factory workers women factory workers are often violated on the factory floor so what is this democracy we are talking about if we left if we leave these marginalized groups in the discussion in the movement in the struggle so yeah that's why it is personally also very important for me to think from this perspective this more marginalized uh, perspective uh, when i think about democracy so yeah yeah you also yeah you you did mention in your publication that it is an overused term and and I completely agree with you we hear it like all the time without really questioning what it what it actually means I mean a lot of us I think um you know mistake democracy as long as we have voting right as long as we just vote for people but it's not really practiced in the day-to-day life which of course you know uh in your narrative we really uh push for that a better understanding a more uh democratizing democracy in Southeast Asia as I say in the um introduction of this of of this podcast but I want to get back to to your point there so uh it's a very interesting point of view where looking at all of these oppressions looking at all of these um all of these lack of democratic practices, you believe that uh, a, a feminist lens and an intersectional lens is very important to actually achieve like the, 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 a better democracy, right? So how did you, how did you come to this um, you know, conclusion or, or, or hypothesis since you are uh, researching uh, that, that, that deeper, right? I mean, obviously you've been, you've been an activist for so long, but yeah. Um, why do you believe that feminism is, is the key for all of these uh, intersectional struggles? Mm-hmm. So sure, there are different uh, school of thoughts in feminism as well. But uh, what struck me when I started uh, learning more about feminism and feminist ideologies are uh, through black feminism and also in reality on the ground in the last few years when I started working with factory workers and women in the conflict areas, they really taught me how to look at oppression in a more uh, intersectional ways because I'm originally from the city, so I'm like this urban feminist, you know, I have these privileges, I speak the majority language, I'm from the majority ethnic group. So sure, I experience oppression and discrimination as a woman, but since I'm not ethnic minority, since I don't, you know, practice particular religion or I'm not from this race or this group so i don't experience the other oppressions that the other marginalized groups are experiencing so uh when i encountered that i became to aware that oh there are multiple oppressions that different women and different marginalized genders experience purely uh, because they are from you know this group or they are from that region or because they are in the conflict area or because they are from this social class. So we can't say, yeah, women experience discrimination. Yes, gender, dif- different marginalized gender experience oppression. We can't 
jiaxi like that. We really have to understand what are these multiple operations that they are experiencing. And in that regard, in that sense, I believe that feminism, more like a radical feminism, can provide us that tool or that perspective to put in when we walk together with other marginalized groups so that we can listen to their lived experiences and how they are experiencing different oppressions because of where they are from, because of their skin color or because of the religion they are practicing, because of their sexual orientation, so and so forth. So, um, yeah, and that's why I believe that and also from Southeast Asia, I mean, feminism has been there, but because Southeast Asia has been colonized and there's also this, you know, um, urgency to decolonize our knowledge system and to kind of rediscover our own uh epistemology around you know those knowledges so that's why for me it is important that uh feminism is a starting point to think about all these aspects and all these perspectives when we talk about democracy social justice freedom yeah there's a lot uh there's a lot to 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 unpack that to to follow up on your on your um on your explanations but i guess i guess we can we can start by exploring the um you know there's lots of schools of thought as you mentioned lots of schools of thought of, of feminism there's lots of schools of thought of like even thinking of democracy itself and civic participation and like you know <clears throat> grassroots movements and stuff like that um could you tell us a bit about like if you've ever encountered all of these uh, these pushbacks within feminist movements and without feminist movements, like maybe in your general uh, activism, um, you know, at, at activism activities uh, in, in, in general in, in Myanmar and like maybe in your research and stuff. Um, yeah, there's uh, quite a lot of backlashes, uh, I have to say. Uh, also, I um, I put that in the report as well that because it's stick uh, in my mind that so I started like my activism like uh, a little bit over ten years ago, and at that time I work with a lot of uh, different political activists, including former political prisoners as well. Like most of them are uh, my friends, and one friend told me that um, our country is still fighting for human rights, so your women rights can come later. You know, what important is human rights? And that's really, really shocked me. Like, oh, aren't we also human? You know, I I still don't get it. Like when, when he said that, I didn't get it. And I still don't get it. <laughs> and there's still, so over the course of the years, there's still somehow similar sentiments around that as well. And in the last few years, the government was really trying hard to do like peace talk and peace conferences. And there are a lot of advocates, you know, oh, women should be at the peace table with you know, all these men wearing uniforms and weapons and, you know, things like that. And, but most of the time, they will say that, oh, these 
women issues are more like social issues, not political issues. You know, these like gender issues are more social issues that we should discuss only when we have extra times. You know, um, our peace talk is the main political issues for the country. So a lot of gender issues and a lot of these operations are being depoliticized as well. When we talk about these important political issues, uh, especially in a country like Myanmar with a lot of uh, violent history and you know violent cases. And usually women and marginalized genders are the ones who experience violence the most from the military and from other you know non-state groups and from public as well but then when they talk about violence they include they exclude the groups that are most subjected and conditioned to those violence uh, situations so um yeah that's uh, that's one thing and uh, another thing is that um there so there are a lot of um, women empowerment or women leadership, that kind of concept or that those kind of ideologies floating around in the last few years, like, you know, through UN and these kind of big international organizations as well. But I feel like those movements, I'm not dismissing or discounting those movements. Those are important. Uh, in a country like Myanmar, where we have been so isolated for so many decades, those are really important to acknowledge women's leadership and women's empowerment, etc. But often we forgot again about our own positionality when we are doing these kind of things. So we will often forget about uh, the conditions that are being made to these uh, disadvantage or these uh, social classes group who don't have resources or who don't have means to even climb the ladder, you know, like that. But often they will say, oh, you are not a leader because you don't work hard enough. Oh, you're not leader because you know you don't have the scale so you need to be you know equipped with the scale something like that but the thing is not that because they don't have skill or knowledge or yeah uh not that because they are not smart they just simply don't have the means you know to get out or to become a leader and yeah, to fight against these traditional norms and these violence conditions that they have been experiencing. So we have to acknowledge that and those are systematically made uh, conditions and situations. So, so these kind of backlashes are everywhere in the last few years because people focus much more on oh, peace talk and these important political conversations and discussions that only men can do and you know these kind of things so yeah um yeah i mean it's it's been said that uh you know there are two kinds of people uh, one is the one who believes that everyone's equal and then they just like the means and the the, the structure works against them and the other is like people who believe that there are different qualities of people who are like have more rights to like 
who will make better leaders or who have who should have more rights to uh, to this and that, which is I mean obviously that's like the um, some of the worst views that 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 you can have. But like um, unfortunately, that happens like a lot in our conversations that are political conversations since they work essentially by exclusion right by excluding even even amongst the feminists you have uh, the turf movements the trans exclusionary radical feminists are like really in 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 high gear right now fighting against trans rights um so yeah i mean why do you think it's it's even you know sharpening uh, in that divide and i guess like how do you how do you um how do you talk to people? How how do you structure re- your your research, for example, and how do you communicate to to people that hey, we should be all in this together, for example, and and also you know there's been you know understandable rejection, for example, uh, when you talk to the factory workers, I assume that you know uh, some people might see oh you know you're you're from the city, you're not going to understand our struggles and stuff like that. How do you bridge all of these differences? Mm-hmm. So for the research, uh, I talked to a few people um, uh, because only now the interviews uh, process is starting. So um, now uh, when I talk to a few feminists uh, from the region, they share the same, to be honest, they share the same experience. They are like, yeah, because when we identify ourselves as a feminist and when we talk about intersectional framework, a lot of people uh, more or less attack or, you know, they humiliate. Uh, oh, you are extreme activists or feminism is not really fitted with our culture or our country, you know, like that. And one uh, activist told me that it often comes from human rights, you know, activists and lawyers and policy makers like that. So for me personally, when I was started, uh, when I was working with the factory workers and other women in conflict and other marginalized groups uh, back home, back in Myanmar, it's... Um, um, there's a lot of unlearning process for me and there's a lot of trespassing as well like you said yes because i'm from the cd and often also especially when i work with the ethnic minority groups because i'm from the majority ethnic group there's this resentment against me because also you know the oppressor the military is also this majority ethnic group. So sure, I mean, I'm not the, you know, uh, the same uh, oppressor, but more or less, you know, in the same way they might say. So uh, there's a lot of resentment and there's a lot of um, learning personally for me that I have to do and I have to sort of surrender to be honest. And I have to build this willingness to learn from them, like you know, not the other way around. Like I go to the places, I go to the factories, and oh yeah, here I come. I'm a feminist, you know. I'm going to teach you this and that. Uh, no, like I have to really, really deconstruct that uh, kind of thinking, and instead I have to cultivate, accumulate this thinking and this 
attitude that, oh, I'm here to learn from your lived experiences, which I don't have, so that we can understand each other and we can build more solidified, unified uh, movement across our different struggles. So, yeah, that's one uh, methodology I might say I kind of accumulated, cultivated in the last few years. And um, I remember one time that was a few years ago, we brought different groups, like different um, young people, factory workers and different ethnic minorities all together in the same room to talk about their own struggles. And it turns out that factory workers from the city who are working at those uh, factories don't understand about the ethnic minority struggle. Uh, oh, why are they fighting against the military and the government? You know, um, it's because there's this brainwash from the government as well, like they are terrorists because they are fighting and they are the one making the country unstable. That's why we still have civil war, etc. So I see that... Um, and learning process is really crucial when we talk about this feminist movement and struggles and intersectional approach. So because we all grew up in a patriarchal, political, social system that we always absorb these uh, propaganda through governments, propaganda and through media and through different schooling system and through our parents, etc. So, yeah, so that's uh, that's one crucial part for me, I would say. So when I talk to different groups and different uh, people, first things first is, okay, like, you know, I have to unlearn everything I learned at school or even through all these books that has helped me to see or to look at different perspectives. But yeah, so I'm like, these lived experiences are crucial and these lived experiences are also part of the knowledge that we want to produce here, you know, in the Southeast Asia region. So, yeah. What about from... Other activism groups, because you know we mentioned, obviously from from grassroots groups and stuff like that. It's 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 a it's an excellent answer that I really appreciate. I don't think people do it enough, you know, just listening to 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 the grassroots, to the lived experience of of people. But also, um, there are many uh, many activism groups, um, many human rights defenders, many progressive movements that, on the one hand, are fighting for you know amazing things. Um, liberation of, of, of people and, and here and there and stuff like that. But on the other hand, as you mentioned before, there's a lot of these progressive movements are also not open to the patriarchy that they have internalized, to the misogyny that they have to that, that they have internalized. Like how do you how do you talk to these people? How do you talk to fellow activists who like um, don't understand your approach? Do you think uh, are you more the type who's like yeah okay you do you I'm gonna do do what I do or do you still hope to foster a dialogue with them? Like how how is it? Well, often uh, I try to uh, build connection, or I also try to listen to them, like because I want to understand like why. I mean, why I'm doing the way I'm doing and why they are doing the way they are doing, you know, I want to understand that. And, um, but 
it's not that easy to be really honest. And um, so, and I think in the last few years, what I've learned is uh, if I or if I can facilitate to uh, bring those marginalized voices uh, to the center, then those groups will maybe think differently and those groups we also see the importance of listening to those marginalized voices that has been excluded in the movement for so long. So that's more of my approach to be honest, but sure, uh, I also have to build network and friendship with these uh, groups and these activists as well. But um, yeah, sometimes it's difficult and sometimes you don't want to confront people and sometimes you don't want to lose your, you know, alliance and allyship, etc. But um, it's, um, it's a tricky position to put yourself in, actually. So, um, but yeah, I sometimes... Um, it also uh, made me like upset uh, and disappointed in the movement as well. But I think most of the time, I'm more inclined to walk with those marginalized groups rather than those, uh, let's say, progressive groups or those like individual activists. And then I once I build up those stories and those voices from the marginalized groups, then they sometimes they interested in like why you are doing this way, why you're not advocating for policy change or let's say, you know, these kind of thing, but instead why you're working with the grassroots groups and these communities. Yeah, like that. So, yeah, uh, I mean, it's not like 100% success, but there has been some exchanges and they see the importance uh, to some extent in the end. So, yeah, it's a it's a constant, I think it's a constant pros process and it's a constant fight and discussions that I think we have to uh, keep going. Yeah, and especially, you know, especially in Myanmar, I can see how that's like very, uh, very important because, you know, you're facing off against such a, such a gigantic and powerful enemy with like guns and tanks and everything else, right? They, they have all, all of that. So solidarity needs to be fostered. Um, what is the... What's the current landscape of activism like in Myanmar? I mean, with with all of the, the with all of the dangers, but also there's the grassroots movements. There's the you know uh, the ones that are more politically active in the sense of like advocating for policy change. There's also like uh, you know UN the the, the UN who are. Um, who were there, and I guess still still are there to to some extent. I I see there's the uh, Declaration of Rights for the Indigenous People, which you know are still um, doing stuff there. But um, what's the landscape between all of these? And yeah, like I guess I guess like how how is it now? What what can be improved? What's still missing? And how do you um, face this this very gigantic problem together? So. Um Actually, I see uh, my activism work in the last decade, you know, working really so hard to be like a critical feminist movement with different groups. I see that as a failure after the military coup, you know, because we didn't expect that, right? We were so ready for, you know, entering a new 
let's say, yeah, a new landscape. Like everyone was hopeful because like really in the last few years, we were able to talk about transgender rights more openly. You know, there are a lot more like, okay, uh, uh, rainbow festival and proud festivals, sure. These are also very urbanized, but stay, you know, in the last, like when I was growing up, we can't even talk about that. You know, it's uh, illegal. I mean, it's still illegal, like, you know, to be transgender and things like that. Like, can you imagine? But also it's from the British colonial legacy as well. But, you know, they don't change the law and et cetera. But yeah, so so we were really, really hopeful and um thinking that if we really uh, walk closely together, then somehow we can, uh, you know, build a movement that we have political solidarity with all these different groups and that we can have more of a emancipatory political freedom, you know, so... But then, yeah, overnight, the military coup happened and all these movements that we've been walking in the last 10 years is being like throwing in the water or, you know, throwing in the sand, something like that, right? So, and then after the military coup, there has been, I have to say, there has been a well, I wouldn't say new, but there has been interesting movements across the whole uh, like country. So a lot more people are talking about the role of different marginalized groups in the movement, in the revolution. So now a lot more people recognize and fighting against the military. And a lot more people are recognizing transgender rights in the movement, which, you know, uh, some of them are, have been fighting, taking up arms in the jungle and fighting the military. And also um, there is this, you know, women fighter groups and women trained to become like a yeah, sniper and, you know, so different parts of the revolution, right? Different aspects of the revolution. Some are in a supporting role. Some are, you know, some become paramedic to help these uh, in those uh, movements. And some become teachers to teach the kid in those uh, conflict areas. So, yeah, so the, all these different movements really come across together. So... That's really fascinating to see. And also now I have witnessed that a lot more people are identifying the military with the patriarchal characteristics. So, oh yeah, like this is not only like the military with like weapons and those uniforms, but this is a military with this, you know, fascist characteristics with this deep patriarchal misogynistic characteristics. So yeah, we also have to uh, fight these ideologies as well, not only military as an institution. You know? So that's really something to be honest, because 
I myself didn't expect that to happen. And now also a lot more people are recognizing Rohingya rights and Rohingya struggle as well, which in the last few years, people are really like Islamophobic and they don't even trust, believe, you know, that Rohingyas are being oppressed and the military did, you know, all these atrocities and massacre against, you know, Rohingya. So, um, yeah. And... But also at the same time, I think uh, there's still a lot of work to do um, because um, sure there's this like like you said like you know uh, UN and all these different international organizations as well. But because I think in the last you know decades, our country like Myanmar has been so isolated. So a lot of these also come in with the mindset that. Oh, we have to rescue these people. Like we have to rescue these poor, illiterate, you know, uh, Southeast Asian um, who doesn't, you know, understand about democracy. Oh, who doesn't understand about these different aspects of, you know, democratic practices or human rights. Or so we also have to fight against those imperialistic mindset as well. So. Again, I'm not like dismissing or discounting those organizations and those international um, institutions uh, effort, but we have to keep in mind that we, our movement also have to be decolonized uh, as well. And so that we can rediscover the origin of our struggles and why we fight these oppressions in the first place and so that we can also um, re reinvent uh, or we can also acknowledge our own epistemology uh, from Southeast Asia as well because I mean Southeast Asia is such a rich country but even the war Southeast Asia came from those area studies from these you know colonial times so we really have to like re-emerging a new Southeast Asia. What is Southeast Asia for us, like for Southeast Asian and what is our democracy that we like to emerge in um, without any of those, um, um, let's say like, you know, um, imperialistic, patriarchal, you know, internalized mindsets, et cetera. So, yeah. Yeah. Um- it's really amazing how, you know, because I, I would have thought, I mean, I, I can't really imagine how it must have been like for you who've like been in the movement, been in the um, activism scene for so long, only to have the military coup happen like almost overnight. That then it's just, it must be so, so horrifying. But to hear you tell that there is hope, like people are still getting together or like even building new perspectives that are not only, you know, not only surface level and like fighting and taking up arms, but also like being a lot more critical ideologically, tying all these things together. And you're absolutely right, you know, um, feminism is, you know, feminism fights against patriarchy and the military functions by patriarchy, right? So that's uh, that's a, that's a clear indication why we should be embracing uh, feminism and all and all of these um rights of like uh, marginalized groups, marginalized genders, indigenous people, all of these things and Rohingya rights, which is like, that's that's an amazing form of like intersectionality and solidarity that 
is happening in in Myanmar. Um, I guess that's a that's a good segue to to be like you know. Um, those are the fights that's happening, that's currently happening in the revolution, in the country uh, itself. But from the listeners here and from, from like people like myself who are like, who are outside of the, you know, we've never been to Myanmar, like we've never actually been involved in, in any, any kind of uh, significant thing there. Um, but it's something that's very concerning because it's, you know, it, it, this has happened before in other parts of the world and it can easily bleed into like, other countries, neighboring countries, you know, um, and it's just, it's just, it's scary to think about that. But like, what do you think we can do to prevent that kind of thing from happening? And obviously to help, um, help the Burmese people, help the, uh, help the people of Myanmar fight against, uh, fight against the military junta and like, you know, just move the cause of the revolution forward. What do you think that everyday listeners can do? I think first, um, I would say because also to me personally, our learning has been really crucial in my activism journey. So that's really one thing you can really do at your personal level, like really and learn everything you learn, you know, uh, at our religious schools and at our, you know, normal typical government schools and universities and, you know, from our families, parents. Um, yeah, these kind of, you know, things, uh, especially from media and government propaganda like that. And also one another thing that I really love to see in Southeast Asia is that this uh, uh, transcendent transnational uh, political solidarity you know among these marginalized groups these oppressed groups because now we see like sure in Myanmar there's this military coup in Thailand you know we don't even count how many you know coups they has been going through and uh, Vietnam, Laos, there's a lot of these uh, women's factories, workers who has been exploited, human rights, and no one's really care. And also, um, like in Indonesia, there's been these like new laws drafted, you know, all these backlashes that we witness, right? So uh, in Southeast Asia, so that we really, really need to build this solidarity among as as well so that we can fight uh, against those patriarchal uh, militarized um, oppression that has been rising in the last few years you know? so election they're not I feel like these are not becoming part of the solution anymore because we have seen that those in the power have misused these as a way to sustain their power and, yeah, you know, to control people and to keep this male dominate, uh, male dominance in the political scene and in the movement to keep harassing people and activists. So we really have to come up with a new movement and new critical um, ideology that can bring all of us together despite our languages, despite our nationalities, because we have experienced the same 
oppression, you know, the rise of the fundamentalism, the rise of uh, military rules in those countries, and yeah, those corruptions. And so the public have to keep informed themselves uh, by creating, you know, different uh, conversations. Like we can create these conversations uh, that we are not allowed to have in our classrooms, you know, at our houses. So those are the small things that you can do. Like, you know, we can do these conversations. We can challenge each other as well um, so that we can bring this, uh, you know, critical thinking. And then from there, we can think about how we can actually work together, like how we can emerge in this new Southeast Asia and this democracy for Southeast Asia, which is more inclusive uh, towards those marginalized genders and marginalized social class, etc. So, I mean, I don't have like how to per se, like oh, step by step, but I think those are the first crucial steps that we can do. Like first and learn yourself and then create those conversations with your peers and like-minded activists and like-minded people, which um, we don't feel comfortable having, you know, so those are important. And then from there, build network, uh, as much as you can with other activists from other uh, countries so that we can think about and we can put pressure on our own governments and yeah, walk towards a more uh, inclusive uh, democratic Southeast Asian countries. Yeah. Uh, yeah, um, I think that's beautiful. I mean, there are some problems um, that we have in certain countries that's like, you know, to solve this problem, you can donate here or you can sign this petition or, or do, do this or that thing. But there are other problems like here, the one that we're discussing, that's, there's just no, no, no easy fix. There's no easy solution. There's no like one single petition to sign or anything. And, you know, um, it's about unlearning, as you mentioned, it's really here. It's really in the mind. It's about uh, critique critiquing and reflecting on what you believe and um, whether you have internalized patriarchy, misogyny or other kinds of bigotry. And it's it's a it's a great answer. I love it. It's about unlearning, communicating, talking to people, building conversations that you're not allowed in like uh, schools or elsewhere. And yeah, um, and I guess at the end of the day, that's what feminism is about and that's what feminism has always been right finding all of these intersections and finding the political and the personal as um yeah as, as the famous saying goes so um yeah um i think that's a great note to end on um thank you so much tadway for the conversation um yeah, we'll be we'll be keeping in touch again in the future, and I'm sure the listeners will be looking forward to the uh, to further publications from your research. Thank you. Thank you, Bonnie. Thanks everyone who listened to our new narrative podcast. And yeah, I love to hear all of your thoughts, and I love to keep this conversation going on for the fight. Yeah, thanks. Bye. And that wraps up our discussion with Tat Wei. Her research is very new, and unfortunately, at the time of this recording, we don't have any direct actions for you to take or networks for you to join just yet. But be sure to keep up with us at newnarrative.com, sign up to our newsletter, and become a member to stay up to date with what's going on with her research. 
as well as other things we're doing. Change starts with the mind, so as Tetway mentioned, keep unlearning and keep holding discussions that the authorities tell you not to have. The personal is political, and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. That is the only way we can move forward. My name is Bonibel Rambatan, and this has been Southeast Asia Dispatches, brought to you by New Narrative and produced by Dania Yudo. I'll see you around.